The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Who are we canceling today? I think everybody eventually is going to have their day to be canceled. And, uh, you know, we've had Teen Vogue uh, editors canceled and somebody with, I think it was the New York Times, was going to get canceled because of old tweets. And sometimes it's things that you say. And apparently this happened on a Southwest airline from a San Francisco gate. Uh, this is a news culture. It's a SF gate, actually. Um, they reported an incident that was happening with the airlines in a hot mic incident recorded over Mineta San Jose International Airport's air traffic control scanner. An unidentified pilot was heard delivering an expletive heavy rant. Oh, and it was heavy. The pilot who delivered the anti-Bay Area rant has been confirmed to be an employee of Southwest Airlines. A spokesman for the company did not identify the pilot, but said that they're fully addressing the situation internally. The audio is archived online at Live ATC, a website that live streams air traffic control transmissions. Though the audio is fuzzy, the context of the remarks remains unclear. The pilot can be heard repeatedly cursing. Commenting on the incident, an airport spokesman said, This communication is very unprofessional, and I have forwarded the communication to the Federal Aviation Administration, to which they'll probably get the FBI to take this guy and put him in jail for 20 years, because it isn't very uh, good remarks towards the left. <laughs> this guy is actually a bit on the right. Um, listen to what he said. In the March 12th recording, the pilot says, F this place. GD liberal F's. And then he continues making several other curse word laden comments before being interrupted by what seemed to be an air traffic controller. The audio is archived at live ATC. As we said earlier, um, he goes on to say effing weirdos, probably driving around in effing Hyundai's effing roads and crap that go slow as F. You don't have balls unless you're effing rolling coal, man. GD it. <laughs> So I cleaned it up for you. Can we get this guy to speak at CPAC? <laughs> he seems like he's on the right track. He's like I am. You know, I see the, the lesbian in the friggin' Subaru, and I already know that they're probably wearing some sort of hemp-made uh, crochet hat that was a vagina, vulva, whatever, uh, that she marched against the patriarchy for, and she's just annoying as all get out. But... These people are going to be the ones that want to cancel you because of things that you believe in. And cancel culture has run even more amok with some of these other incidents. But, you know, there's one individual that should be canceled. It is Nakia Walker, the mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia. Now, let me give you a little background on Charlottesville, Virginia, because I live in Virginia. I played in the music scene in the 90s. That was when Charlottesville was popping off. Charlottesville is like, I like to call it the mini Austin. It's, you know, you've got Texas, this beautiful red state. And in the middle of it is like this little dot that the leftists come in and they infect as they always do. 
You know, they're they're the ones that go into these towns and they set up their little pop-up coffee shop that lasts for like a weekend in an old abandoned warehouse that somebody else owns. Uh, the, you know, economic models that don't exist in real world <laughs> in, in real world operations. You know, you you're not going to pay the overhead for that warehouse for the next year and a half, but you're going to use it for the weekend to sell your little coffee beans and your, your uh, scones and, and all that BS. Well, it's kind of like that in Charlottesville. And, you know, in Austin, you had Austin City Limits, and so everybody's got their little jug band, you know. They're out there doing their little uh, their roots rock with uh, banjos and BS like that because they're getting back to, to Americana, even though the people that love the Americana music are socialists who hate everything about the founding of America, but they like Americana music for some reason. Um, they might as well be, you know, jamming out to the Soggy Bottom Boys or whatever. That's what Charlottesville is. And back in the day, you know, Charlottesville gave us Dave Matthews Band. Charlottesville also gave us bands like Everything. And I don't know if you remember them. You got the hooch, baby, whatever. You got the only sweet. Well, they were OAR before OAR was OAR. And what I mean by that, if you don't know who OAR is, they're that kind of hipster uh, jock, hippie music, I guess. You're going to wear button-up flannel shirts. Not not scrubby flannel like you're a real hippie. You're going to wear these like button-up flannels with like the sleeves cut off with baseball caps on, and you're going to hang out and, at your college frat party, but then somehow get down with, with roots jam music or whatever. It's really bizarre. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand the fascination behind it or the clientele that enjoys it. But everything, I did shows with those guys. They're real nice guys, though. And they were a good band. The drummer was freaking amazing. But that's what came from Charlottesville. Bands like Egypt, which you want to download some good stuff, go, go download Egypt. I played with them, too. The great band. Um, the singer from Egypt actually came from our hometown and was with 24-7 Spies for an album. Uh, dude can sing like you wouldn't believe. But... That's the thing is they were very, they had a good music scene. You know, it's college town, UVA. Uh, you know, when we played the circuit, we would hit there and then hit Virginia Tech and Radford and Hand and Sydney and uh, what have you. The thing about it, though, is it's very left. And everything that happened with the Charlottesville riots can be summed up with its leadership. You know, the mayor of Charlottesville was the one who told the police, the Charlottesville PD to stand down when they had the unite the right rally that ended up with Heather Heyer being run over by some guy who decided it was a good idea to just drive pedal to the metal through a crowd of people. But then the other thing is the police officers. And at the time, governor Terry McAuliffe, who wants to run again, that idiot, we don't need Bill Clinton's crony buddy running again with his failed green energy cars, uh, we don't need that guy being governor again. Ralph Northam is enough. But he wants to run again. And when he was governor during that time, he had the state police stand down. And the police department that were, was conducting any sort of traffic control took the Unite the Right uh, ralliers and pushed them right into Antifa. And that's where the dust-up came. So we have a new 
Charlottesville mayor, and she actually won off of the backs of the Unite the Right rally and the horrible actions of the leadership of government of Charlottesville. Um, So she wrote this nice little poem. It's kind of like a Maya Angelou Hallmark card. Um, On Twitter, she put Charlottesville. It's beautiful. Ugly it is. It rapes you, comforts you, and in its cum-stained sheets, C-U-M, by the way, and it tells you to keep its secrets. That beautiful message from Mayor (laughs) Nakira Walker. She went on to clarify because she didn't think you got the point on it. She said, is this better? I'm asking the person who reported my short poem to Facebook, Charlottesville, the beautiful ugly it is. It lynched you, hung the noose at City Hall and pressed the souvenir that was once your finger against its lips. It covers your death with its good intentions. It is a place where white women with black kids collect signatures for a white man who questions whether a black woman understands white supremacy. It is a destructive world class. White people say that it is a place where gentrification started with the election of a black woman in 2017 because of white power. A lie becomes facts. Its daily practice is that of separating you from your soul. Charlottesville is void of a moral compass. It's as if Good old TJ is still cleverly using his whip to whip the current inhabitants into submissiveness. Charlottesville rapes you of your breaths. It suffocates your hopes and dreams. It liberates you, conveniently redefining liberation. It progressively chants while it conservatively acts. Charlottesville is anchored in white supremacy and rooted in racism. Charlottesville rapes you and covers you in sullied sheets. That is your mayor. That is your freaking mayor. <laughs> Can you believe that? The mayor of Charlottesville putting out poems like you would buy in a Hallmark card store with cum stained sheets and, and rape of the city. But, you know, this whole thing, have you noticed lately the concerted, coordinated, and synchronized effort to push in every aspect of culture? a move to vilify a race of people like Caucasians. It is insane. It is stunning. I've never seen anything that could beat it. It's a constant barrage. I mean, I'm seeing it on every level on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's critical race theory being taught in schools. It's the flat. It's the fact that the Sesame street uh, characters are now black. They have to have a couple black new characters come on to tell Elmo, well, Elmo, you're red, but I'm black, and you need to learn what skin color means. And then you have this situation that's happening in Oakland. Um, I mean, the Klan couldn't have envisioned this level of racist gaslighting in their lifetime. And this is actually from the UK Daily Mail. Um, City of Oakland is branded racist for giving families of color $500 a month if they earn under 59000 with no rules on how they spend it, but offering poor white families absolutely nothing. A program to give 500 monthly checks to low-income families of color in Oakland, California, has been criticized for explicitly excluding the 10,000 white residents living in poverty in the city. Unbelievable. According to the data from 
an Oakland Equity Indicators report cited by officials to justify favoring people of color, white households earn about three times that of African-American ones. The same report states around 8% of the city's white residents, approximately 10,000 of people, live in poverty. And they're going to not get the $500 checks that the colored families are. Um, Sheriff told the Associated Press the reason for limiting eligibility to black, indigenous, and other people of color was that the white households in Oakland make an average of of about three times as much as black households. Mayor Schaaf said, or Schaaf, we have designed this demonstration product or project to add to the body of evidence and to begin this relentless campaign to adopt a guaranteed income federally. The announcement sparked an angry debate online as hundreds of commenters on Reddit were critical of the move. One commenter labeled it pure racism. Uh, You think the mayor of Oakland is talking about passing out $500 checks only to black and indigenous families. Who are you going to find that's indigenous there, sweetie? You know, while the mayor of Chicago is talking about the city raping you and wrapping you up in cum stained sheets. Um, Another explained the program failed to understand the changing demographics of the city. The high income earners in Oakland are mostly young transplants that did not grow up in Oakland. They should have done the research on upward social mobility in Oakland and restricted it based upon that. But I guess that's too much work. Another wrote poor is poor being poor and white sucks. You may not get looked up uh, for trivial crap like our dark-skinned brothers and sisters, but it's no secret that white privilege always has and always will require a certain shade of green to your name. Right. You know what? My white privilege has me getting up at 6 in the morning and going to work every day. Uh, I didn't get anything handed to me. And a lot of you didn't either. But this is all divisive. This is all to divide and conquer because... United we stand, divided we fall. And I can tell you right now, there are areas in this city that I live in, that I grew up in, that back in the 80s, you wouldn't have driven down if you were black. And guess what? Black people live there now. And no one has a problem. So, uh, yeah, this whole move, because we're going to get into a little bit more of this in just a moment, but this whole move is a concerted effort by corporates, corporatism, government, by activist groups, NGOs, down the line, in entertainment, in media, all to push against white people. And it's almost like you might as well just set up South Africa. We'll just be the white farmers and we'll have all the indigenous people and the the people of color come in and burn us and, and rape our wives and kill our kids in front of us. And then, you know, execute us in the middle of the farm land that they will now try to grow crops in. That's what's happening in, in South Africa. And apparently we're doing this on an economic level and on a entertainment and corporate level in the United States. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. Now, if you think I'm being hyperbolic with all this push against white people and white culture coming from all angles of culture and business and what have you. Consider these stories. Here's the first one from PJ Media. Home Depot co-sponsored systemic racism resource hub that smears Christians 
as haters. Now, if you've listened to my podcast, you know that I make the distinction that whenever you hear a leftist talk about white supremacy, what they're really saying is code word for Christian. <laughs> it's always the case. If you can put that together, and every time you hear somebody say, well, it's a systemic white racism and white supremacy, realize the white supremacy is code word for Christianity. So from the, from the piece, Home Depot generally leans conservative. In 2018, Home Depot Political Action Committee gave $1.3 million to Republicans and $742,680 to Democrats. Second vote, a right-leaning nonprofit that ranks companies by ideology, ranks Home Depot between neutral and leans conservative. Yet the Home Depot Foundation partnered with the Georgia Center for Nonprofits in sponsoring a diversity resource hub that pushes the idea of systemic racism, supports the 1619 Project, which has completely been discredited and debunked. They support that curriculum and endorses the accusation that mainstream conservative and Christian nonprofits are really hate groups to be listed alongside the Ku Klux Klan. The Georgia Center for Nonprofits has launched a resource hub providing diversity, equity, and inclusiveness resources for nonprofits. The Home Depot branding on the page is hardly subtle, correcting systemic racism and unconscious bias because you're walking around unconsciously being racist. You didn't even know you were racist, did you? <laughs> it's unconscious. It's just unconscious knowledge. Sorry, my little jeans addiction thing there. Come on, man. You know, pigs in Zen. All right, going back to the article. Correcting systemic racism and unconscious bias can't happen without practical solutions. Sustained practice in every one of us, in each organization and across the sector working together. It's our hope that the information we've curated here can contribute meaningfully to your own efforts and ultimately to sector-wide progress. Now, the idea of systemic racism traces back to Marxist critical race theory. Critical race theory teaches that any racial disparities must ipso facto be proof of some hidden racial bias or discrimination, regardless of civil rights laws explicably forbidding such discrimination. Marxist critical race theory inspired much of the destruction of the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots over the summer, while protesters rightly expressed outrage over the treatment of George Floyd. Now remember, that's part of accepting the premise of the narrative because Everybody keeps saying George Floyd died because of a knee on his neck, and he really was having issues breathing and keeping it together when, before he was put in the squad car. I mean, he was on fentanyl and just a heavy cocktail of lethal drugs, and as he was being put in the squad car, he was, I can't breathe. He wasn't even being apprehended at that point. I think they might have had handcuffs on him. Maybe he was apprehended, but he wasn't even placed in the back of the squad car before he was complaining about not being able to breathe. That's before he was put into the squad car, wrestled in the squad car, pulled out of the squad car, and the knee was put to the neck. But let's accept that premise. While protesters rightly expressed outrage over the treatment of George Floyd, many of the protesters devolved into looting, vandalism, and arson, which lawless thugs acting in the name of fighting racism destroyed Black lives, black livelihoods, black monuments, civil rights leaders. Robert uh, Woodson has warned that low-income blacks are collateral damage of the so-called anti-racist narrative. But we have Home Depot now jumping in on the mix. 
And it doesn't stop there. Oh, no. How about Cigna, the insurance company? Cigna's critical race theory training. Don't say brown bag lunch and be mindful of religious privilege. Oh, there goes that white supremacy Christianity again. Employees at one of the nation's largest health insurance providers, this is from the Washington Examiner, are routinely subjected to far-left critical race theory lessons and asked not to consider white men in hiring decisions, according to a leaked document and chat logs obtained by the Washington Examiner. Those who work for Cigna told Washington Examiner that they are expected to undergo sensitivity training they consider racist and discriminatory. Lessons include reviews of concepts such as white privilege, gender privilege, and something called religious privilege which is described as a set of advantages that benefits believers of a certain religion, but not people who practice other religions or no religion at all. So basically, this is your LGBTQIA individual who leans completely Marxist left, uh, AOC, Bernie Sanders type, who thinks the government should just validate their sinful behaviors. And because you're a Christian and you're Bible says, well, you shouldn't be engaging in those behaviors, then you're religiously privileged and you're a white supremacist. It's basically what they're saying. Um, Coca-Cola has employees taking training on how to be less white to combat racism. So I'm telling you, that's all from big business, right? So we have big business stepping in. Well, then you have the teachers unions and they're stepping in too because the parents Regarding these teacher unions, uh, the ones related to it. Yeah, they're in on this as well. I mean, think of this. Um, I mean, this is the same people that gave us the canceled Dr. Seuss. Uh, They are the teacher. This is Antecha. Antecha is what I call it. Antecafa or whatever. You have Antecafa, which is the tech center. And now you have the teachers unions. Um, teachers compile list of parents who question racial curriculum, plot war on them. A group of current and former teachers and others in Loudoun County, which I've been to Loudoun County. You know what it reminds me of? That dumbass show, Northern Exposure. You remember that where they're up in uh, Alaska, I think, and it's nothing but coffee shops and everybody's dressed in North Face jackets and it looks like they're all going hiking at the same time. Uh, that's kind of what Loudoun County's like. It's really not a place I like to hang out at. Um, They compiled a lengthy list of parents suspected of disagreeing with school system actions, including the teachings of controversial race concepts with a stated purpose in part to infiltrate and use hackers to silence parents' communications and expose these people publicly. So they're going to dox you. Members of the 624-member private Facebook group Anti-racist parents from Loudoun County named parents and plotted fundraising and other offline work. Some use pseudonyms, but the Daily Wire has identified them as a who's who of affluent jurisdiction outside of D.C., including school staff and elected officials. The Sheriff's Criminal Investigations Division is reviewing the matter. But the group's activities might be no surprise to the top law enforcement because the county's prosecutor narrowly elected with the help of 845000 in cash from who? George Soros. Well, this guy appears to be a member of the Facebook group. <laughs> so the, that's what I'm talking about. You have no recourse when the elected officials are in on it, when you have those in influential positions, CEOs and businesses, they're all in on this. And so it's a concerted effort. 
And they want to say, oh, well, you know, they're doing this for Black Lives Matter. Um, Black Lives Matter, Inc., the group, is actually a Marxist group. And they've said so. They're, they're leaders. We did a whole expose on them about three, four years ago on the podcast where we broke down the three main people, tr- uh, Patrice Cullors and uh, Garza, I think the, her last name was. There was three individuals that were key to this movement. And they all have Marxist backgrounds. FRSO is one of the organizations there. In, was a Freedom Road Socialist Organization? One of the groups that they're involved with. They don't. They support destroying the nuclear family. I mean, the Christian nuclear family. These people are Marxist, and we should not be supporting them. But in, in Atlantic City, they plan to spend 36000 to redo the Black Lives Matter mural on a busy downtown road. Because why? The original one confused drivers. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I don't know what they're confused about. But I uh, shouldn't be too confused, because this is the type of thing that you wanted you you want to support black lives and put it on your instagram picture on your profile picture put a black square and and put your fist up in solidarity wear wear like a band that says blm on it on your wrist or whatever and through the pandemic after we got through burning auto zones and cities down in the name of black black uh solidarity we get this from the nation I am not ready to re-enter white society. As the pandemic wanes, I have to leave the safety of my whiteness-free castle. I know that racism is going to come roaring back into my daily life. This is Ellie Mistel writing this. I've said it here and elsewhere that one of the principal benefits of the pandemic is how I've been able to exclude racism and whiteness generally from my day-to-day life. So you've been locked up in your house. You can't be unconsciously racist because you're in your house and you don't have anyone to be unconsciously racist to. Maybe you can watch more black programming on Netflix. They've got a whole section for you. They've categorized it out. Um, then you can, net, you can get your Netflix and chill on. Um, I've been able to exclude racism and whiteness generally from my day-to-day life over the past year. I have, of course, still had to interact with white people on Zoom or watch them on television or worry about whether they would succeed in re-electing a white supremacist president. There it is. But white people aren't in my face all the time. I can more or less only deal with the whiteness when I want to. Their cops aren't hunting me when I drive through my neighborhood. Their hangups aren't bothering me or threatening me when I'm just trying to do some shopping. This person is ridiculous. Um, now they're even saying that climate anxiety of climate change is an overly, overwhelmingly white phenomenon. This is from the Scientific American. The climate movement is ascendant. And it has become common to see climate change as a social justice issue. That's key, because that's what they're doing. That's why you're seeing this critical race theory. We all hate white people. We need reparations. Pay Oakland citizens of of color $500 a month. You're seeing all of this for what's called ESG scores with businesses, environmental, social justice, and government scores. And this climate movement falls right into it because climate change is it, it, it's it's a watermelon 
for lack of a better term. I don't mean to use that in a derogatory sense. It's green on the outside, but it's red on the inside. I'm not trying to make some sort of racial statement there. So, so pipe down. <laughs> Climate change and its effects. Pandemics. Oh, was that was the pandemic a outgrowth of climate change? Hmm. Funny. Pollution. Natural disasters are not universally or uniformly felt. The people and communities are suffering. They're more disproportionately black, indigenous and people of color. It's no surprise that the U.S. surveys show that these communities are most concerned about climate change. So they're doing it through climate change. And then you got this guy, Ibram X. Kendi. I'm sure you've heard of this guy. He looks like Dwayne Wayne from A Different World. Do you remember that guy where they all went to that college and, you know, it was a, an offshoot of, uh, of the Cosby show and they're wearing their little emblems of Africa, even though they don't have any descendants of Africa. But, you know, they're down with the struggle. Well, he's like this author and professor of Africana and Latina studies. He's one of these guys that your university's hired to indoctrinate your kids and make them hate you and themselves. So money well spent there with the triple digits that you spent on student loans. Ibram Kendi is speaking to a Manhattan church, says anti-racist fundamentally reject savior theology. The Christian is to go out and save these individuals who are behaviorally deficient and embrace liberation theology. The Christian is to revolutionize society. Liberation theology. In other words, Jesus was a revolutionary. <laughs> and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. That the job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on, on earth that are oppressing humanity. Everybody understand that? So that's liberation theology in a nutshell. Savior theology is a different type of theology. The job of the Christian is to go out and save these individuals who are behaviorally deficient. In other words, we're to bring them into the church, these individuals who are doing all of these evil, sinful things, and heal them and save them. <laughs> and then once we've saved them, we've done our jobs. And, and to me, anti-racists fundamentally reject savior theology that goes right in line with racist ideas and racist theology in which they say you know what black people other racial groups the reason why they're struggling on earth is because of what they're behaviorally doing wrong and it is my job as the pastor to sort of save these wayward black people or wayward poor people or, or wayward queer people that type of theology breeds bigotry. And, and so to me, the type of theology, of liberation theology, breeds a common humanity, a common humanity against the structures of, of power that, that oppress us all. So this guy is completely wrong, although he sounds important. It's like Jesus said, you know, he sounds like a doctor, and I think he has a doctorate, but he's full of crap. Basically, <laughs> what he's saying is, we need to just, as Christians, revolutionize society. So we need to do all these social justice change, BS movements. We're not supposed to go out and witness and spread the gospel and bring people to Christ. Now nah, I don't need to do any of that. 
That's savior theology, and that's bad. That's what Christ demands of us. That's the crux of the entire thing. That is, that is the whole thing in a nutshell. But, you know, we're not allowed to shed light on deviant behavior like the three, uh, you know, founders of Black Lives Matter who are lesbians and uh, are Marxists. We're not allowed to uncover those bad behaviors because they might not fit with Christianity. Well, he goes on with another clip. More white people are finally beginning to realize how white supremacy and even whiteness is itself is killing them. It literally is posing an existential threat to humanity. It always has. And so fundamentally, anti-racism is life. It literally is. It can save humanity. Listen to this moron. More and more white people are finally beginning to realize how white supremacy and how even whiteness itself is killing them. There's actually a new book out called Dying of Whiteness. <laughs> I mean, I don't make this stuff up. Like, you know, literally, <laughs> people are dying of their own whiteness. But more specifically, white supremacist ideas. And to give one quick example, the, you have so many sort of people who worship whiteness in the South who also worship the Confederacy, who also worship Nazis, Nazism. And then when you think about the Confederate States of America launching or initiating a civil war that led to the death of more white people than all other wars combined. And then you think of Nazi Germany that helped initiate a World War II that led to the death of more white people. <laughs> you, see, you, see, you see the pattern here, right? How white supremacy is fundamentally an existential threat to humanity, not, not just people of color. We're, we're, of course, most likely and most likely to be harmed, but it, but it literally is posing an existential threat to humanity and always has. And, and so fundamentally, anti-racism is life. It literally is, it can save humanity. It can save America from its metastatic cancer. Thank you. So we're dying of whiteness. We're having world wars and white people are dying. Never mind the fact we're not talking about African tribes that behead fellow Africans that are all black. We're not talking about those. We're not talking about Middle Eastern uh, individuals that are out there cutting heads off of non-believers or infidels. We're not talking about that either. We're not talking about China, the Asians in China out there putting Uyghur Muslims in genocidal camps and sterilizing them. We're not talking about that. It's only white people that have wars. It boils down to sin, Mr. Kendi. People are inherently bad. We try to be good, and that's why through reconciliation with Christ, we can become, you know, a better individual. But that's why we are Christian, because we want to become better. We want a nuclear family. We want to grow and prosper and spread the gospel of Christ because everyone benefits from the teachings of Christ. And what they're doing with this entire movement is to destroy the country by separating and dividing. And this guy is in a church preaching liberation theology, which is what, you know, uh, Obama's preacher, uh, Jeremiah Wright, spoke about. Uh, 
It's what Al Sharpton believes in. These people are dividing the country on racial lines simply so they can dismantle it from the inside out. And if you buy into it, if you allow your kids to get stuck in the curriculum, if you have your company force these views upon you, you're going to be a part of the problem. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. You can check out the the blog, adrianslateshow.com, and get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Search Adrian Slade Show. If you'd like to donate, anchor.fm slash adrianslade slash support. You can also donate, anchor.fm slash adrianslade slash support. Um, you can also call into the show, leave a message, one nine two nine go go usa We'll see you guys. <laughs>